Welcome to 242, podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we explore topics that are relevant to our lives as students of the way of King Jesus. Today, I will be talking with Aaron Belleville, and we are going to be talking about what happens when our deepest held truths turn out to be wrong. We talk about certainty and doubt within our lives as individuals, but also we talk about certainty and doubt within our lives together as a community. We talk quite a bit about marriage as a metaphor for our faith journey, and we talk a lot about the expectations that we bring to Scripture and the lenses that we wear when we read it. And finally, we ask the question, what is Scripture and can we trust it? So I hope that you enjoy. Well, uh, welcome, Aaron. Glad to be able to talk with you today. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself just a little bit for anybody who, well, who does or doesn't know you. Who are you? Yeah, sure. Uh, Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having me here today. Well, I'm Aaron Belleville. Uh, I've been going to Buffalo Vineyard for about seven years now. I'm married to Carissa, and we have two (laughs) beautiful children, Eleanor and Ezekiel. And I got to interject, they are beautiful. You're, you're, you're not a, a father blinded by... I mean, I feel like I'm biased because they're mine. But You, you are know. biased because they're yours, but they really are. You have, you have beautiful kids. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. We've been blessed. Yeah, and I run an urban farm in South Buffalo uh, through a ministry called Seneca Gospel Mission. So, yeah, what, why don't you... What's the 30-second version of kind of what, what you do there? Well, we, uh, we are youth-based. We work with uh, children and teens... And um, we we have youth programs throughout the year. Uh, we really kick it up a notch in the summer. We have all kinds of activities. Very very busy. And um, one of the things we're doing this summer is called Bug, and it's building urban growers. It's getting uh, kids to know where you know the food comes from. You know how it, you know the entire process from seed to end up on their plate, and they learn how healthy living skills. And we incorporate. Uh, healthy spirituality into that, uh, healthy emotions. And we, we make it like a three pronged approach and, um, towards, uh, just, you know, the entire person. And we love these kids and our main message is, you know, God loves the heck out of you. So yeah, yeah. it's is a message your, they're not hearing from anyone else. So that, that's the tagline. God loves the heck out of you. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so maybe, maybe just by way of introduction too, you could talk a little bit about your spiritual journey or may, not so much spiritual journey. Cause we might get into mm-hmm. some of that a little bit more, but just your spiritual, your upbringing, you know, I know you were raised in the church and how, how would you describe the way you were raised as a Christian? Oh yeah. Well, I've, I've been a Christian for, I would, I would say my whole life, you know, I, for me, it's, it's always been a part of, of who I am and, um, you know, a lot of people have like that, you know, very Paul on the road to Damascus moment where it's like this poof, complete 180 degrees and, you know, everything. Um, I, I've never had a moment like that, but I've had, you know, many points in my life where, um, my faith has been solidified and, and God has really, um, shown me. Yeah. I, I, I it, it, it's kind of funny cause you know, people will say, well, when were you saved? And like, I'm kind of like, well, I don't really know. 2,000 years ago, I think. <laughs> and they're like, you don't know? You don't know when you were saved? And it's like, I don't have that one moment. And, and that's that's another thing. It's like, you know, I said the prayer as a kid. You know, I said the prayer probably 100 times, you know. <laughs> but, um, 
but I mean, for me, it, it's been experiential. It's it's been um, something that it, it's it's more it's best explained as something that's been lived. I've I've lived it, and so I know it. And it and um, I don't I don't have any like insecurity about um, about that. But yeah, so I, I was um, I was raised in a very like um, conservative Baptist, you know, I guess you could say fundamentalist kind of kind of church, you know, um, a lot a lot of um, fire and brimstone kind of. Kind of preaching, you know, kind of. Uh, um, so, so I, I grew up. Um, I, I guess my my first coming to God was was more out of fear than it was out of love, and and I think that is um, is it's kind of an important distinction because um, I wasn't drawn to like I wasn't drawn to Jesus. I wasn't drawn to the cross out of. Um, this this mutual love, but it was more out of, well, you know, I'm I'm afraid of the consequences. I, I don't want to, you know, go to hell forever, and um, so it it was it was that was maybe the initial thing that um, you know, and and so a, a lot of how I related to God as as a young person, as a as a teenager, um, in my twenties was, you know, out of fear, you know, mm-hmm. really afraid of uh. God who could punish me for anything that I might do wrong and kind of having this sense that he was always disappointed in me. Hmm. Uh, never really truly loving and accepting myself in him, but always feeling like I was never measuring up. Yeah, You know, and this, of course, I, I later understood this is a standard I'm putting on myself. It's not really how God sees us, and it, it was certainly not a... Um, that, you know... So, I, I guess I struggled with that for a while. It wasn't really until my late twenties that I really had a, a better grasp on grace and was able to maybe forgive myself as much as I needed to. I mean, I knew that God forgave me, but like I was, I was a bit harder on myself as a person. So, um, really coming to see God differently as as a much more uh, merciful and loving and ultimately forgiving. Yeah. being and um yeah I, I i got to a good place there i think um probably the next stage in my faith development maybe about three or four years ago i started digging into things a little more deeply on on terms of the uh theological angles yeah really, really getting to into the the well, heavy stuff that maybe i didn't have the headspace for earlier and that i think maybe just for for me to put this on the table and then you can just keep talking but i think one of the things that that has brought us to this conversation together is we briefly had a conversation the other day about the role of certainty and uncertainty in our lives as Christians and in our faith and our relationship with Jesus mm-hmm. and how, how those things affect, affect us, affect our ability to actually be healthy. Right. That's right. And, and they, they really do mm-hmm. probably more than we even realize. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So, so what were you, you were about to, you're about to talk about the last three years and, and you started digging into some things, which, you know, I don't, I don't know if that was prompted by uncertainty or curiosity or, you know, but, but yeah, tell, tell the story. Yeah. Well, I, I think it was prompted by curiosity. I mean, I've always had kind of this uh, insatiable desire to learn things and uh, I've always been really into history. Okay. That's been one of my interests, history in general. So, um, yeah, so a few years ago, I started like digging more into the history behind the Bible. You know, get, okay. getting into the archaeology and you know maybe trying to find the historical backdrop for you know um, 
Yeah, just try and find out where like the biblical accounts lined up historically. You know, gotcha. Just That's what I was going to ask. Purely so that, out of curiosity, it, it wasn't coming from a place of skepticism. It was sure. coming from a place of, hey, I want to know more about this. And not necessarily like the history of canon formation, but you're talking more more about how the accounts in scripture lined up with what historians would say about what happened. That, that's mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. right. Cool. All right. Scene set. Go so, ahead. so yeah, scene set. So, I mean, years before I, I came to a point where, you know, I realized, okay, some of the things maybe in, in Genesis are hmm. like historic, I mean, historical truth, like the six day creation, you know, I, I had to reconcile that with, with science and what we know about the age of the earth and everything. And that was not like anything that shook my foundations. That was fairly easy to incorporate into my faith. Um, but, you know, going going down the line here, you know, let's say just for one example, the story of the flood. All right, so looking into, well, when did this happen? You know, sometime in the middle of the third millennium BC. Not not that it matters, the exact year or anything, but um, it should be pretty, pretty easy to figure out when it happened. Like, you have archaeology, you have the historical records and stuff. You have all these worldwide civilizations who existed and left a mark, right? Yeah. Um, only there's one teensy little problem. If you search all these records of civilizations, there's there's no abrupt end anywhere, right? Like, you just, instead what you have is historical continuity. Mm-hmm. Things go on. Egypt keeps being Egypt. Sumer keeps being Sumer, whatever. Um, uh, the surrounding nations, the, the population wasn't wiped out. They were still, you know, doing their thing. Egypt was still building the pyramids. They were right in the middle of that and everything. So, um, so, so what do you do with this, right? Like, so if there wasn't a worldwide flood, then like, well, yeah, it would be. It was, so, so what did you do with it? It's something that would be extremely easy for archaeology to, to prove, which it kind of has mm. to the contrary. So, right, it, it's hard to do something with that, you know. Um, so. I guess what I'm, and I'll get back to this. Um, um, yeah, so things like that, that um, the flood or the Tower of Babel, you know, not being really a, a realistic picture of how languages form. I mean, we know a little bit more about linguistics now. We know that languages evolve gradually over time. You know, there's geographic things that. So I mean, science comes into this too, right? We're, we're talking. Um, just right. what we know about our world now is a little bit different from what they knew about when the Bible was written. Well, so, I mean, it does seem to me, though, that inherent in, in everything that you just said is, well, I guess there's a couple of things. Um, I should pick and choose. Instead of saying a couple of things, I'll say one thing. That's usually better to do. <laughs> sure. I have a bad habit of saying multiple things at once. Yeah. So <clears throat> it, it, it begs the question what Scripture is. Right. And yes. So even to say something like, uh, you know, we know more about science today than they did when they wrote scripture mm-hmm. assumes that what the authors of scripture were trying to do was write scientific texts. Right. And or historical records or historical records, which right. there are clearly places where the authors of scripture were intending to write historical records. Mm-hmm. And there's also clearly places where the authors of scripture were not intending to, I mean, who would claim that Psalms is a historical record, right? It's just not what it is. Um, Whereas, you know, like uh, Kings seems pretty clearly to be intended as a historic, as a historical record. Mm -hmm. And if we look at 
the Kings, that does match up with everything we know about so history. Then, so. so then that begs the question about, you know, so like the first 10 or 15 chapters of Genesis or even the whole book, what is that? What kind of, right? Yes, and, and th- so, that's an excellent question. That's something that I wasn't prepared for at the time. Okay. I think, you know, I've always kind of maybe naively assumed the Bible was historically, scientifically, and in all other ways accurate because it's the Bible, you know? And well, so, but again, I think, and, and this is coming from, question. it's coming from a, a presupposition. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Talk about that. That's, <laughs> it, that's what I wanted to get. Okay. At. All right. Yeah, so, yeah. um, I guess, I guess what we're going to, we're, um, going to go on, uh, maybe spend a moment here to talk about what do we even expect the Bible to be? Mm-hmm. And, and I think maybe that is the issue. Mm-hmm. And so back to my story, I mean, like discovering that these things weren't exactly how they happened historically was a huge blow for me. Like that really shook me Mm. and um, just made me kind of worry and doubt like, okay, well, what else are, what else is the Bible wrong about? Like, how do we even know? Like, and then there's like this theoretical line of dominoes that start falling and like, well, well, what about, you know, Jesus, what about the resurrection? You know, then it really gets kind of scary. Right. But that was, and, and that exposes what the problem is, is, is you're, is the expectations that we place on the Bible, like mm-hmm. maybe ex- expecting the Bible to be something that it was never designed to be, you know? And I don't think the Bible was ever designed to be a, hist- a historical textbook or a science book or, and, and so we're, we're, we're putting these, um, we're putting these expectations on the Bible that it was never meant to bear. You know, it, it's, it's meant to be a theological document, mm. <laughs> something that points us to God and how to better understand God. And um, so trying to make the Bible into something it's not is actually the problem. And it, it took me a while to realize that. I mean, that was a big aha moment, and that was actually kind of one of the things that maybe <laughs> saved me and helped me feel that I could, <laughs> you know, breathe again and not be terrified of, of losing my faith. Because yeah. for a while there, it was quite terrifying to me. I'm like, um, everything that I thought I place my faith on is turning out to be not what I thought it was kind of. Um, so what, man, there's like <laughs> so many directions we could go in yeah. right now. Um, well, do you, do you have something that so, you were so still wanting let, to say? Let's, let's, um, let's flesh this out. Let's keep talking about like what the Bible is expected to be. And, okay. And, All right. and maybe you could give me a, a more, you know, academic answer than, than what I've thrown out there so far. But so I certainly can. But also, I don't know that that's helpful. I think mm. what I I think it's good for us to talk about expectations on Scripture, but I really want us to be able to dig in in this conversation into talking about certainty and uncertainty, mm-hmm. and and part of why part of why you experience some of the I think it's fair to say pain you experienced is that is that an appropriate word to use. I would say it's appropriate, yeah, right. but it, it's coming from a place of doubt, and right. and maybe that's something that. But what caused that pain was precisely the certainty that you had in some things that ended up being false. Yes, exactly. I I think, um, placing certainty and and uh, needing that to be my my guide, rather than. And, and I think that's where we need to make the distinction too. It's um, we we kind of have this idea that um, that doubt and and faith are 
polar opposites Mm -hmm. rather than being really two sides of the same equation here. So, and and I think this is a main point, and this is something that if you're taking notes, (laughs) um, (laughs) doubt is not the opposite of faith that we think it is. No, the opposite of faith is certainty. And, and here's the thing. Certainty is, is, is not, not about trusting, but about needing evidence. It's about needing to know 100%. And where does faith fit into that? Where is trust in that, you know? So that's an interesting, that's an interesting definition. I mean, I think I would personally not have wanted to I think that we can, I guess I would say that faith is something that goes beyond evidence, right? That's, yeah, I would agree 100%. But that most of the things that we have faith in, in our lives, we have faith in things that includes, that that we have evidence for. I mean, so whether it's, you know, I trust that when my wife says something is true, that it actually is, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I have have faith in her, Mm -hmm. her, um, her words, and that is that goes beyond the evidence, right? Because I don't actually know if she's telling me the truth this time. She could be lying to me, and so I am trusting. Right. But that doesn't mean that there isn't the evidence that you know, like you, you have. She's the, been pretty honest with me so far. And, and that's and, that, and that's exactly it. You have the evidence that comes from experience. Mm-hmm. You've you've known her for twenty years or so, and so you know that she has a record for being trustworthy, and so that every time that you trust your wife you you uh it reinforces that within you right yep so it's not like you're coming into every circumstance with tammy blind and not knowing whether you can trust her or not because you have you have a backstory here yeah so you have enough life experience to know okay this is someone i can trust but it seems like the that where so if we're going to continue that metaphor that maybe where certainty becomes a problem in terms of our approach to scripture or our approach to God is not that there isn't room for a faith that goes beyond evidence, but is rooted in some real, real tangible experience that should produce, if not certainty, like deep confidence, right? Right. But the problem is when I have certainty that something is true and I'm wrong. That's yes, exactly. That's <laughs> that's when the whole house of cards collapses. And so, just to like to draw the parallel, there are ways that uh, you know I could tell stories about my marriage. I'm sure you could tell stories about <laughs> your marriage, where I was certain that something was true, either about my wife or about myself or about our relationship, and it turns out I was wrong. And sometimes those have had very comical. Um, those have been those have been very comical situations. Sometimes, sometimes they've been but very sometimes painful. Sometimes situations. it's devastating. Right, right. Yes. And, and that's the thing. We 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 can all share stories like that where there's been something that has right. completely betrayed what we've known to be true, or we certainly thought we knew. Right. And so in my in my marriage, I think even like this is this is you're giving me marriage advice. Thank you. This, this <laughs> is helping me. This is helping me be a better husband. But just thinking through some of the conversations I've had with Tammy over the years about, I guess like you know talking about like taking each other for granted, and there's ways in which that can be a really good thing. There's also ways in which that can be a really destructive thing to a relationship. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And that built into that, there's kind of like this 
it's almost like adding an element of healthy uncertainty to your relationship where it's like, Hey, I know Tammy. I know my wife. She knows me. We trust each other. We know each other well. And yet also there's still this element of exploration that's built into our relationship. If it's going to be healthy, if it's going to be vibrant, but that still oh, yeah. needs to yeah. be there. And that, that certainty actually erodes that exploration and curiosity and even, um, cause it's not skepticism, but it is like this drive to pursue and to know and to not have it all figured out that I think is healthy for a marriage. Anyway, I wanted to say yeah, that precisely, but then, but then I want and you to talk about, you can, you can talk pre- about your own marriage. Precisely. Want, and, and one more, um, maybe metaphor yeah, on marriage. So, go um, ahead. There is this certainty that comes, or not not fully certainty, but trust that comes from knowing somebody. But there's also the uh, the X factor of, the, of people change, mm. you know. And Carissa has changed since we've gotten married six years ago. And, How dare she? <laughs> you're right. But and it's it's and it's a beautiful thing. Mm. I mean, it's incredible that, that people change, and she's growing and developing in all new ways. And um, sometimes it's hard to keep track of her. Mm. I mean, she's still my wife, but there's a new there's new elements and there's new aspects of her that I'm trying to catch up on and learn. And, and, um, that takes trust too, is what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Because people are moving targets. People. Yes. Yes. That's it. Right. (laughs) But you, you trust the person themselves enough to know that, okay, they're safe and they're going to move. So I'm going to move along with them and, and continue to dig in and continue to, uh, explore and get to know them. There's still more to know because they're still moving. They're still changing. All right. So take that and talk about your relationship with scripture through the lens of bam. <laughs> All right, go for nice. it. Nice. Well, that, that's a good tie in there. So, right. So, um, the thing that had to, um, the thing that had to budge for me was just how I understood, you know, scripture to even be. Hmm. And, um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's safe to say that a lot of Christians uh, base their faith on the wrong on the wrong foundation. Mm. And this is going to sound a little, you know, crazy, but I I don't think that building our fa- our faith on the foundation of the Bible is the correct foundation. Okay. No, it's it's defend I, I, yourself. I, yes, heretic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would say that the foundation for our faith is the is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Mm. We are, you know, Christians after all. That sounds like a very biblical thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, yes. <laughs> all right, you've defended so, yourself. So here you see the Bible. The Bible is a guide to point us to Jesus. Yeah. You know, it's never meant to take the place of Him. Yeah. You know, and I think maybe it's it's kind of people have inadvertently elevated the Bible to the fourth member of the Trinity, giving it, it this place of uh, perfection that's equal to God. Yeah. And. Um, the thing is, it's it's a tool to point us to God and to point us to Christ. And the entire Bible is, you know, one giant arrow pointing to uh, the life of Christ. And and um, and you know, that's where we really need to base our faith. Yeah. And you know, that's not that radical of a concept. I mean, we are, you know, <laughs> hopefully not. Right. Hopefully not. In some circles, but, it, it is, but so, mm-hmm. not in this room. Right. So here we <laughs> see the the we we can't give everything in the Bible equal weight. Okay, talk more about that. Yeah, well... And, and talk about why that seems significant for you. And this is just something that I've had to, had to come to on my own. So you know, prior to that, you you wouldn't have... You would, you would have thought otherwise. I would have... Yeah, I'm, I certainly for most of my life, I would have thought that, you know, every word in the Bible is 
inspired by God. Therefore, it's uh, not any less than any other one. And you don't think that now, or what? <laughs> I, I no, I you know, and you know, there's you know, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the book Red Letter Christians. Uh, I'm, I haven't read it. But okay, I, Tony Campolo I, and Shane Claiborne. Exactly. Excellent yep. book and really points to the words spoken by, by Jesus mm-hmm. as, and even saying, okay, these are what he, what, what Jesus actually said is more important than any, the rest of the Bible, you could say, you know, okay. like got some heat for that. You know, there's people who disagreed and said, you know, well, it's all, it's all equal. But you know, even even in Jesus' ministry, he was he's kind of um, correcting bits of scripture. You know, um, there's parts from the Old Testament: an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And Jesus comes and says, "No, you've heard that said, but but I tell you, turn the other cheek." What, what's he doing here? He's taking scripture and he's correcting it in a way. <laughs> so what? so what you're saying is that there are places in the Bible that are in tension with other places in the Bible that actually wouldn't allow you, if you're actually engaged in a close reading of scripture, wouldn't allow you to believe that all scripture has an equal purchase on our lives today. That there are some scriptures that are actually more important for us to figure out and apply than others simply because some some points of scripture are in tension with other points of scripture. Precisely. There's like a, a very commonly used f- phrase is it uh, is it biblical? Well, there's a lot of things that are biblical that aren't exactly recommended. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. um, stoning your children to death for disobedience. I wouldn't really recommend that. I don't know, some days. No, I'm just <laughs> How disobedient are right. these children? Right. So um how big are the stones? Yeah. You know, Sorry, I hope, say my, something hope is, my kids aren't yeah. listening. So the Bible is constantly in tension with the Bible. Yeah. Uh there's um parts of the Bible that seem to completely go against other parts. And not just between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have um you have it in Proverbs twenty four. You have two back to back verses. One says that you should never engage a fool in his arguments, and the very next verse says you should answer a fool so that he knows that, and I'm like, well, which is it then, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, so, and I think this gets back to one of the, the, the points that you made though, is, is it, it, and which we didn't really answer the the question of what is scripture. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that we need to dig into that a ton. We could do a little bit of that. Um, but, but clearly over the course of your life, you were, you either came to some on your own or were taught some by the church or churches that you were a part of some wrong ways of thinking about scripture and some wrong expectations to place on scripture, some misunderstanding, some misunderstandings about scripture and what it is and what it's there for. And that, yeah, that, yeah that's safe to say. Right. And that then that unraveled on you. And that unraveled and it was terrifying and um, it felt like my faith unraveling. Yeah. Until I, uh, uh, th- you know, thankfully got back on solid ground and realized, okay, well, it's it's not the way that I thought it was, but actually this is so much better. So that's, I'd love to hear that. What would, so first of all, what I heard you say is you're no longer in a place of, 
like angst or pain around your relationship with scripture or your relationship with Jesus. Is that fair to say? Very, yes. Very okay. True. So what have, how have you come to see scripture? Ah, uh, well, I, I've come to see it more as, um, you know, definitely still inspired, but, uh, spoken through the human lens, mm. you know, it, it's not coming directly from, it's not being downloaded directly from God. Okay. In that sense, it, it's God's allowing people to speak through it and to offer very human wisdom and insight into the um, in, into the situations that it it speaks to. You know, like um, and and that is, I think is God's way of of honoring our free will and and our personal agency. It's it's uh, allowing the spirit to flow through the writers, but giving them. Uh, free reign when it comes to the words being actually their own. So people are coming to right, um, the, the authors are coming to the Bible with their own um, cultural biases, their own personal uh, uniqueness. You know, there, there's a lot of uh, very personal uh, and that's not a bad thing. That's an excellent thing and, and I think it's it's actually gives the Bible more of a uh, more of an organic kind of um, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think <clears throat> the so that idea that um, you know God was in heaven, pen in hand, writing down the words of Scripture, and then kind of like beamed the book to us. Yeah, and that's how I initially thought. You know, right. just boom, came down to earth like it dropped out of heaven, kind of. And that's. You know, like if you're if you're a child, that's probably not a harmful way of thinking about how scripture came to us. You know what I mean? No, but when if you're thirty, it's probably not so good. But exactly, <laughs> if you're thirty, it's probably not so good. At least not if you want to actually engage with scripture in any kind of a meaningful way, because it's right. not that's not how we got scripture, <clears throat> and so it's not faithful to hold to you know a five year old's version of how we got scripture. That's not faithful to God. It's not faithful to scripture. And, and, and um, back to certainty, I, I don't think that it's wrong to start our faith with the need for certainty mm. because trying to teach our, our children about it, that's right. one of the things that we do want to instill in them. Right. We want them to, you know, be very certain that, you know, Jesus loves them. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Mm. And when you're five years old, that's perfect theology. And that's all you need to know. Right. And it, like, you know, we... Children are not going to understand metaphor and symbolism and poetry and allegory and all these other things. Right. That's fine. You know, you get there at some point. But <laughs> but but they should be able to understand, uh, you know, 3,000-year-old municipal codes. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I think that that's exactly right. I mean, even in this conversation here, like you've said some things that... Um, where as a pastor, and, and again, at this point, maybe three people will listen to this podcast. Right? Like <laughs> I have no idea how many people actually end up listening to this. So it's, it's, it's just the two of us in a room. We haven't even released this yet. But, but definitely as a pastor, I'm like, ooh, like how will people hear these words and think about these things? And uh, not that I disagree with the conversation we're having or think we shouldn't be having it or having it publicly. But, you know, when you, when you think about 
a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 25-year-old um, at various places in their their human journey. And also when you think about somebody who is not a Christian or is new to their faith or is in a place like maybe where you were, where you had some real clear but actually maybe wrong ideas about scripture. And we think about people in various places in their spiritual journey, listening to a conversation like this, <clears throat> you, you kind of, you can be like, Oh, I, I hope you want to control what they hear so that you can control their potential responses so that they don't end up being, um, I guess, pushed away from God or pushed away from the church or pushed away from scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a very real concern. Right. Because a lot of people have wrestled with doubt. Very, right. very common. Many Christians have. And I, I know a number of people who have lost their faith entirely. Right. Because the doubt just became too loud of a voice. And maybe they didn't know that they could like push back on that and interact with that doubt and wrestle with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, have an arm wrestling contest and high five it at the end, whatever, you know, like <laughs> you, you feel that doubt is this enemy. This is horrible thing that you need to stamp out. You know, you need to push it down, push it down, push it down, or just, you know, live in denial that it doesn't even exist in your faith life. Mm. Because when people, you know, talk about, when Christians talk about doubt, usually it's in the terms of something we should not have. Or if, if people openly bring up their doubts, they're, a lot of times they're ostracized for that. They're like, well, you know, you just need to have more faith. You just need to have more, more. Like, how much is enough, right? Like, is is there like a like a uh, thermometer for for faith? And like, when you get to a certain point, it's like, okay, you know, like, no, I mean, and and I I, I don't really even think that that's the best way of looking at at faith as needing more of it. It's it's you, yeah. something you either have or you don't. Well, and it seems like also what what I hear you saying, and maybe you're not saying this explicitly, but what I definitely hear in your story is that that maybe if we were to think about the relationship between certainty and uncertainty and faith as a spectrum where faith is in the middle and certainty and uncertainty are, are on other ends of that, and that we certainly can, like, doubt can be corrosive and dangerous and harmful, right? So it's not Mm -hmm. like, we want to live in this place of extreme skepticism where we, you know, doubt our closest family members and doubt everything about everything all the time. No, no one can live there forever. But also on the other side of the spectrum, having such clear certainty about everything that we've come to believe in without any room for any kind of questioning or doubt can itself become extremely dangerous and can lead to all sorts of disaster. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I, I think that's, yeah, that, that sums it up very well. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of, like, the song from the 60s, uh, the, the Monkees, you know, I'm a believer, not not a trace of doubt in my mind. And I, I think a lot of times when we think, well, believers, we cannot have any doubt in our mind. Yeah. And if we do, then, well, are we really saved? You know, so you, uh, <laughs> so you, you start to doubt because of the doubt, and that leads to more doubt. And that, you know, it, it uh, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a... Um, so, yeah, while, while we're talking about this, I'm thinking back to the metaphor of, you know, like our relationships with our wives and that. Mm-hmm. So clearly, if I begin to doubt my wife and do something silly, like hire a private detective to follow her around, that would be extremely bad for my marriage, right? Don't do that. Yes. So, if she so, finds the hidden cameras, right, it's, exactly. it's not going to go well, what right? So, yeah. On? Yeah. So bad idea. So that would be an example of doubt going 
so far to the point where it becomes corrosive of my marriage. Yeah. <clears throat> Having said that, if, you know, and we could take it out of the realm of infidelity for the sake of my wife. So let's say, let's say there's some area where like, I'm just unsure of what she meant by what she said. And mm-hmm. it seemed may, maybe she said something that seemed a little snarky or mean spirited. And I wasn't sure if she meant it that way or not. Mm-hmm. So one approach would be to say, you know, Hey, I trust her and I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. That's probably the best approach. Another approach would be to suppress my doubts and to like, not, not just, just pretend that I didn't have those feelings about my wife. And that could actually be really dangerous, right? For me to just ignore potential problems in my marriage, places where I feel maybe belittled or whatever, or, or have some questions about what my wife might've intended in a situation. If I pretend that those don't exist, that can actually ultimately lead to real problems. And whereas because yeah, then you're living in denial and exactly. That, yeah. So it's this, it's this certainty about things that actually I probably shouldn't be certain about. And so what would be a better approach would be to, as you say, you know, to arm wrestle your doubt, to actually interrogate that. So, you know, am I being silly? Do I need to just let go of this or do I need to have a conversation with my wife? Right. Now, I'm not going to hire a private eye because that would be bad, <laughs> but I certainly could go to her and say, Hey, you said this thing. It kind of made me feel some feelings. Yes. Can we talk about it? And that that would actually be something that would lead to at least a healthy resolution to that situation and potentially something really powerful in our marriage too, right? It's that that idea of like, you know, being curious about my wife and and being interested in what's going on inside of her. And as, if I lose that curiosity out of this kind of like rigid certitude that I'm imposing on that, I, I'm actually losing out on something more rich and beautiful. And, and so like, again, take, taking that metaphor and laying it over the top of scripture, you know, clearly like completely doubting and casting aside scripture completely would, would not be good. And we don't, and we, we certainly don't want to push that whether it's on small children or, you know, on ourselves or on people who are in maybe, in certain places in their spiritual journey, we don't want to push into that extreme uncertainty and doubt, but also we don't want to push into certainty. And so there has to be room for people to say like this whole resurrection thing, is that true? Hmm. Like really true. And to be able to say, that's a really important question. I think you should try and figure it out as opposed to, yes, of course it's true. Go back to sit in your chair. Right. And and I think that's unfortunately um, a lot of times that is, dealt with with kind of scorn like that uh people are saying well how could you possibly doubt that um how, how can you call yourself a christian if you don't believe x y and z and so then we make these you know dogmatic statements into more give them more weight than actually the very real lived experience of trust mm-hmm. which is what our christian walk is all about when it comes down to it it is your daily uh, challenge to live a life of trust. <laughs> yeah, you know it, it, it's it's nothing more complicated than that. But at the same time, it's you know it's a difficult uh, you know to to live it out. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has already been a fun conversation for me. Sure. Uh, yeah. Is there more around certainty and uncertainty, faith, doubt that you would want to want to say or ask or share from your own experience? 
Hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I would I would definitely say that um it's it's not all about just knowing, like mm. needing to know. There's there's much more than that. And I, I think one of the things I've come to do in the last two years or so is is learn to love the mystery. Hmm. To actually love the things that I don't know. <laughs> and just kind of live in that tension and just like let it bathe over me. There's a lot of things that we're never going to know. And that's okay. I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where I'm okay with that. And like, I trust that God has something amazingly good. Yeah. You know, people might have certain, like they might think they have certainty about like who's in and who's out, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, whatever. If we're being truly honest, we it's in God's hands. We don't know. <laughs> and we have to trust him for that. And and I think it it takes humility to get to that point. I I think we have to uh, admit to ourselves that we don't have all the answers ourselves that we think we do. So there's, it, it seems like what you're saying is that humility ends up being a pretty good um, spiritual or moral defense against um, corrosive uncertainty and doubt. Mm-hmm. I think so. I, I think with um, the the need for certainty does come often comes with arrogance of you know being so certain that you are right. Therefore, everyone else who doesn't agree with me must be wrong, and we all see the kind of messes that that makes. Yeah, you want to you want to name one? <laughs> I don't even need to name one. I mean, <laughs> throw a rock, right? Go on Facebook. <laughs> wow. So. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> Uh, certainly, certainly, it doesn't look good on us as Christians. I'll say that. So. It doesn't look good on anybody. It doesn't look good on it anybody. It looks particularly damning on Christians. Right, because we should know better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That'll preach. Mm-hmm. That, so th- That's a good hellfire and brimstone sermon right there. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, if we come into our faith with the expectation that, that doubt's a thing of the past, we're going to eventually run into a crisis. It's inevitable. Yeah. You know, it's not a matter of if, but, but when, right? So my thesaurus gives a, a synonym for uh, certainty, and that is unquestionable. So just, just sit with that for a second. What kind of a place would we be in if we could no longer ask questions? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, and, and, that's yeah. interesting. So... That's interesting because there are things that are, I mean, just by, and I'm not even necessarily thinking theologically per se, but like there are questions that in, in order to, I don't know, move, move forward or, or develop or, or grow. Like we just kind of say, all right, that's settled. I've answered that. I'm going to move on. Mm -hmm. So, so there is a role for that. You know, I mean, like, I'm not going to go back and question whether one plus one equals two or, you know what I mean? It's like, all right, I like, if I answer that question, I'm on to, you know, not that I'm doing calculus, but I'm on to a higher level of math. You know what I mean? So I don't, yeah. What, what do you think about that? Hmm. Could you unpack that a little more? I guess what, so for example, around questions about scripture and science Mm -hmm. and history and what's true and, and where is, you know, where, where, like, how do we take this particular story of scripture and understand it? And are we willing to, you know, to really interrogate it? I think 
we do have to be willing to engage deeply with those kinds of questions about scripture. But for example, I haven't necessarily done that with every aspect of the old Testament where I've like really dug into it and said, you know, what do I think about how this particular story um, means? Is it a historical story? Is it an allegory? Like I haven't, I haven't done that. I have done that with mm-hmm. the new Testament personally. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and, and part of the reason why I've done that with the new Testament is because in my opinion, the central historical claim of the Christian faith is that Jesus was dead and then he came back bodily to life. And when I realized that that was in essence, the central factual claim of the church, no, that's not the central factual claim of the church. It's the central factual claim of the church that actually has some sort of like historical, um, fact attached to it. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think it, it, well, it's central to the faith. Right. Without exactly. a doubt. But we also can attest to the fact that there is a lot of historical affirmation for it. Well, so that's my I, point. I, I witness. Uh, so that's yeah. exactly my point is I went through a period where I, I, I don't think I had the same kind of angst that maybe you've described going through over the mm-hmm. last um, few years, but I had some angst. For sure. Yeah. And I engaged in a period of a few years of investigating that specific claim. Do do I, Steve Shank, actually believe that this guy was dead and then came bodily back to life or not? Do I buy that or do I not buy that? Um, and I went through that period of questioning and I came to a place where I said, I believe it. I believe it's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to stake my life and my yes. eternity on that fact. Well, that's the big one. That's, right. that's the one that matters. Well, so <laughs> so know? then so then my question is, is it okay that I'm now living in the certainty of that fact, or do I have to go back and re-examine that every so often? No, or? no I, I don't think that's fair. I, I think um, if, if you've reached a point of certainty with that, I, I certainly think that, that um, it, it, the fact is not going to change. That It's not a moving target. Like, you know, like your marriage is, you know? <laughs> so um, that, that's where the metaphor breaks down, you know? Yeah. The uh, the fact of the resurrection is, has been settled, you know? And so uh, for, for me, the the the, um, the so-called evidence of the resurrection is not so much in the empty tomb itself, but in what happened afterwards. Yeah. And just seeing how the message spread so quickly and just the, the passion of the uh, disciples that their life was so drastically changed. Something... <laughs> massive must have happened you know like for these guys to go to the ends of the earth for them to risk martyrdom and i think all but john were were killed violently you know you you don't die for a lie (laughs) yeah so i think that gives a lot of credence to to any doubts that we might have about that yeah so so again it sounds like what what we're coming to um to the degree that we're going to have conclusions from our conversation Mm -hmm. is that there, while certainty and uncertainty can both be problematic, there's also a place for both of them in our faith too. And so it's not that we can have no certainty or no uncertainty. It's that we need to have certainty for the right reasons in the right places and maintain it in healthy ways. And also yes. to allow uncertainty, not everywhere, but in certain places and in certain times and seasons and around certain issues to help drive us towards what is good. And yes. Yes. Thanks for the clarification. And I, I just want to make that point true that like, I don't think we should ever be in a place in our faith where everything is up in the air. Like yeah. all, all things are up for question. And like, 
there has to be some, there has to be at least one foot on the ground. Okay. <laughs> like, you know, if you just say all oh, bets are off, okay, well, you know, what are you holding on to then? Like, you know, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm definitely not saying that we should just, you know, strive for uncertainty in all matters. But I think what I am saying is we should allow room for it, hmm. that the two need to be in dynamic tension. Well, and that actually, that's really helpful too. I don't know if you meant this or not, but what I heard you saying there too is that I can't, so Steve has done this work and has come to this place of certainty. That doesn't mean that Steve gets to tell everybody in our congregation or everybody in every congregation or everybody in our city that they're not allowed to then go through the process that I went through because I've got certainty and that we... Oh, goodness, as much no. as the, yeah, everyone's right. journey is going to look a lot different. And so as much as there needs to be room in my own life for uncertainty and doubt, as well as certainty, mm-hmm. as a community, we need to actually treat as almost sacred, like people's ability to engage with uncertainty and doubt and not try and push people to a place of certainty. Yes, thank you. Right, we absolutely... Talk more about that. Um, in, because in your, in your story, it seems like that's part of how you came to some of that unhealthy certainty is it was pushed on you by other people. Yes. And, and, um, I just assume that that was the reality. Uh, enough people throughout my life and experience had pushed on me the fact that like doubt is a bad thing. You just need to be certain at all times about your faith. Hmm. There's no room for questions or if they are, the questions were greeted with a very, uh, dismissive answer i guess you could say like it wasn't really given a chance to incubate and dig into it fully it was just saying well here's the pet answer this is what you need to accept and you know no there will be no further interrogation mm-hmm. it's settled uh so that's going to set you up for being unfulfilled <laughs> because you know like i said before i i'm very inquisitive my mind is always going in a million different directions and like I'm always asking why, <laughs> why this, why that, you know, and, and um, those are, those are great questions. Those are questions that we should be asking. And, um, and at the same time, I don't want to demean anyone's faith if they are completely comfortable where they're at and they don't have that inquisitive nature. Not everyone is like me. And I, I understand that too. I mean, there's right. plenty of people who th- they've never had an issue with doubt. It's it's never been something that they wrestle with, and that's that's great. And I'm I'm glad for you. <laughs> Honestly, it's probably made your life a lot easier. Um, but but please have sympathy on us folks who do doubt, because um, you know we're not black sheep, we're not bad Christians, you know we're we're not heretics or backsliders or anything. We're we are people who honestly want to engage our faith and always work with it. And and I think that that is that makes the difference between people who stay true and people who walk away is, are you willing to do the hard work? You know, when crisis comes, hmm. are, are you going to keep digging in or are you going to, I guess, take the easy way out and say, well, I'm done wrestling with this. And, it, and it's probably very, very easy to do that. And, um, so the thing is, I mean, if, if your faith is serious enough to you, you, you are going to be doing the hard work. You are going to be doing the wrestling and, um, you're going to be finding yourself in some pretty uncomfortable places and it's going to get messy. 
and it's going to mess with your head and you're going to be like, what the heck, right? Like why? <laughs> uh, but uh, I mean, I, I would just recommend to people just, just see it through, you know, keep, keep fighting through it. And um, so that actually, that brings to mind a couple of questions and maybe I'll, do, is there anything you still would like us to, to discuss? I know we, we talked about some other things that we might bring up during this too. Mm-hmm. Well, do, um, Steve, do you see any other ways that people kind of miss the mark when it comes to um, needing certitude or um, maybe working through questions they have? So I think you have really clearly articulated in my mind, the danger of um, not engaging with the questions that you do have, mm-hmm. right? Like that false certitude. Um, as like as an individual, if I have these questions, I can't just ignore them. I need to engage with them, mm-hmm. and so I think I think that's really helpful. Um, I think one, so. This this was. I, I was thinking about maybe asking a couple of questions that make this more practical. Yeah. And so right. like, okay, so how do we apply, how do, how do we put this into practice right, in right. our lives? And I was thinking about, you know, from the lens of an individual, okay, so if you were going to give yourself advice as a 10 year old or a 15 year old or a 20 year old around this issue, how would you give yourself advice? So that was one question that I was thinking, but then ah, another good. one, very different question, but related would be, more how do we apply this as a community, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so then if you were going to go back and give advice or maybe even dictate terms <laughs> to the leaders of the communities that you were a part of when you were 10 or 15 or 20. Yeah. And so you can answer whichever one of those first you want, but I think those would be really helpful things for us to think about, right? So how do we as individuals think about what we do practically to engage around doubt, certainty, uncertainty, faith, but then also as a community, how do we handle those things inside of our communities, especially because different people are going to be in different places on different issues or in different things, you know, different ways around that place. So how do we, how, how do we do that? How do we do that in healthy ways as a community of faith? So I don't, you can answer whichever one you want Mm. first. All right. Well, let's say I was going back to my younger self. Uh, I think one of the things I would definitely say is you don't have to have it all figured out mm. now. That um, embrace the mystery. A- embrace the mystery. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how receptive my younger self would have been to that, <laughs> but I certainly would have said that. That mystery is not a bad thing. Uncertainty is not a bad thing. Um, questions are not bad. Um, and I, I think maybe one of the other things I would have said to a, a younger Aaron would have been, you don't need to listen to, not, not that you don't need to listen to people. You don't need to um, let their opinions of how your faith should be determine how your own faith should be. Everyone is on a very individual journey, and we need to respect that about each other. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I don't think people respected about me when I was younger is the fact that my journey looked a little different from their own, and they were you know, trying to say, no, 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 you are wrong about this. This is how it should look. And me realizing that trying to live with the disappointment of not meeting other people's expectations, I guess, 
so maybe that's even a bigger lesson that that applies to all of life really like don't let other people dictate your own happiness <laughs> yeah uh and, and so when it comes to our, our faith I, I really think like there's a lot of things that we're going to have to work through for ourselves that we can't rely on others for i mean we can trust others for the foundation and and but use that as as a starting off point like we have we have to build our own architecture yeah does that make sense yeah 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 i mean i think it's <clears throat> it would well just like we said there's like the spectrum and there's a balance and and there's a happy medium um i think also when it comes to our relation like our relationship to like other people and their influence on our lives and the way that we think and who we are is also on a spectrum and the mm -hmm. balance is, is somewhere in the middle. It's the happy medium that, that we should be aiming for. So it would be wrong for us to, particularly as a 10 year old to say to the world, you have nothing to teach me, right? That, <laughs> that would be a, an unwise <laughs> posture to take towards the rest of society or your church community or whatever. Yeah. Right. But that also would, to yeah. your point, it, it is also equally wrong to say, I'm a sponge and I have no moral obligation, nor do I even have the ability to make up my own mind or to choose my own path in any meaningful way. I will just do whatever you tell me to do. Like both of those are the wrong approach. Correct. Yeah. The right approach is I'm 10. I need a lot of wisdom and advice. You guys have way more of it than me. So I want to listen. I want to learn. I want to. And this is this I would say is not just for a ten year old, for a forty two year old, right? I yeah, need, sure. I need I need other people's, you know, what what whatever expertise I have, I lack more of it. You know what I mean? And so I need other people's input, but also, as a forty two year old or a ten year old, I have moral agency and I have a responsibility to make decisions about who I want to be and what I want, like where I'm going to move in this world, and that includes what I think, what I believe. Right, right. And when I talked about free agency, there's, um, I really think that's the, the beauty of, of uh, the gospel message is it is not a one-size-fits-all. It is very um, malleable to people's personal, um, wherever, wherever you're at. I mean, God cannot be limited by, you know, just, just one type of um, way of, of reaching an individual. He's going to reach you exactly where you're at. If you're receptive to that, and and I think a lot of times we make the mistake of just thinking that there's only one way to uh, uh, to to accept it, right? Um, yeah. So I mean, maybe I'll, I'll try and tie that into community. Uh, what? Yeah. So one of the things I I really really love about Vineyard is the diversity within our congregation. I mean, we have people of you know different races, different ages. Uh, different political beliefs. Uh, that one can be fun. Right. But, and that's, that's the great thing. We don't all have to agree and we make it work, you know, and, um, you know, there, there's many churches where, you know, everyone's conservative or everyone's liberal and like, y you kind of get in an echo chamber here. At Vineyard, there's people who are always kind of challenging the way that I perceive things. Yeah. And I, I'm grateful for that. And, and, I love that we can make it work with such a, a small congregation that yeah. um, we really get it. The fact that, okay, there's many different ways to come to the Lord and, you know, 
one is not better than another. Yeah, I guess. So I, th- I think that's one of the things we're doing right. Um, and I, sometimes I need to humble myself and say, I, I, I can, I mean, I, I can get to the point where I, I think that like, I've got it figured out with the not figured it out, figuring it out. <laughs> right. I, and that's a, that's its own kind of arrogance. Right. right yeah. You know, so <laughs> I'm arrogant towards arrogant people. Yeah. Right. So uh, <laughs> that that's where I need a, a gut check sometimes is okay. Well, you know, just, uh, give these people grace, even if, you know, they don't really. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah. If you were going to give it, like, I mean, even just within the context of our church, and I know you said that there's things about our congregation that you appreciate and you feel like we're doing well, but if you were going to say, I mean, if you're going to preach this sermon on a Sunday about, you know, like embrace uncertainty as a church, you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what would be the, so, so you've, you've told people why and you've explained how it's impacted your life. What would be the practical application for our church about how, again, not for individuals, but how we as a church should be thinking about this corporately. What does it look like for us as a body to say, hey, we want to create space for uncertainty in our church, for individuals in our church to have, you know, to, to, to have uncertainty. What what would we do practically as a church? What would be your, your oh, takeaway? Oh, gosh. Wow. Um <laughs> It's okay if yeah. you don't have an answer. No, this I, is what I'm going to... Ha- I didn't tell you I was going to ask you this question before right. the podcast. No, that, so. that's definitely something I'm going to need to meditate on. Okay. But um, yeah. it, it's worth thinking about. It I, is. I think we should all kind of consider that for a while and uh, come together with our ideas. Yeah. Well, so one thing I will say that I think is part of the answer, I don't know that it's even the best part of the answer, but it's part of it, um, is just about... Uh, so you talked about mystery, mm-hmm. and I think embracing mystery is one part being comfortable with the unknown, but it's also, so, so like the way scripture uses the word mystery, sometimes it's mystery. Like, I don't know what happened, like who done it. Like I'm not, I don't have the answer. Right. But, but not, but not usually. Exactly. Yeah. Way more often when scripture uses the word mystery, it's actually about something that we already know the answer to. And the mystery is why in the world would that be that way? Yeah. The mystery is the why exactly. exactly. Like, we don't know the reasons for the crucifixion. We don't know exactly how right. uh, God, right. but we know that it happened. We know right. that it it was the plan. It exactly. Just, you know, and it's maybe it's not for us to understand. So the mystery but, is something that has been revealed, but is, it's, and so the, the biblical use of the word mystery is more about uh, wonder and awe. Wonder and awe, yes. Mm. Eternal life is mm-hmm. a mystery, <laughs> right? <laughs> It's yeah. so far beyond anything that we can wrap our minds around. Yeah. But there is wonder and awe wrapped up in it. And it's, it's the thing that keeps us going. You know, mystery is just, yep. if, if we knew what every day was going to hold, if we knew the, like the script for the whole rest of our life, would anyone get out of bed? Mm-hmm. I doubt it. You know, I wouldn't because, you know, <laughs> what's the joy in there, you know? Yeah. But um, a lot of the mystery in it, and that embraces, you know, both the, the bad stuff that might happen and and the good. It's all one package. Cool. Well, I think that's a pretty good place to stop. Yeah. Was this fun? (laughs) This was great, man. Let's do this again. (laughs) Thanks. Good stuff. Awesome. Thanks, Steve.